Welcome to Law in the Bush, a regional, rural, remote podcast by the University of New England's Law School. Hello and welcome to the Law in the Bush podcast from the School of Law at the University of New England. I'm your host, Patrick Graham, and today it's my real pleasure to talk to my colleague here in the Law School, Associate Professor Cameron Moore, who's also the Deputy uh, Head of School. So I'll be talking to Cameron about his research. Cameron primarily explores and writes on the law of the sea and freedom of navigation, military force and maritime security, as well as on uh, natural resources. And today, more specifically, we're going to talk about natural resource exploitation, violence and poverty at sea. So Cameron, welcome to Law in the Bush. Thanks very much, Patrick. So Cameron, I say you're, you're deputy head of the School of Law at UNE and you're also an honorary principal research fellow at the Australian National Centre for Ocean Resources and Security at the University of Wollongong. You're also a visiting associate professor with the Centre for Military and Security Law and the Centre for Public and International Law at the Australian National University. Also between 1996 and 2003, you were a legal officer in the Royal Australian uh, Navy, and you remain in the Navy Reserve, the rank of commander. You also served in a deployment to Afghanistan 11 years ago. Somehow through all that, you also find the time to complete your PhD thesis at ANU in, in 2015 on the uh, Australian Defence Force and the executive power. It's a really fascinating topic there. So tell us a bit about that background, particularly before you joined the law school back in 2005. Yeah, I'm glad to, Patrick. Um, people might wonder why podcast about Laura and the Bush include a background like mine. I should say I'm actually from New England region, over up in Rolling Armadale, and then went away for a life of adventure, which I had. And different ways I found myself in um, as a lead officer in the Navy. I started off actually as a seaman officer, so I learned to navigate warships, and then also studied law and found myself as a legal officer. And the really interesting thing about that was there's such a spectrum of requirements um, for legal advice in the Navy. So it's everything from discipline and personal and administration type issues through to dealing with things like fisheries and piracy and naval warfare and uh, everything in between. And so it turned out that I was advising on environmental law, interaction with whales and indigenous coastal communities and all sorts of things. So it was a pretty broad and interesting background then to bring into academia. And it turned out I was asked to teach more of the sea, which sort of makes some sense, but also natural resources law and environmental law. And people might be surprised at the connections, but there are quite significant connections uh, with all of those things because the maritime environment's much more literally fluid, but also functionally fluid as well. So all those questions of natural resource exploitation, security, and coastal communities really working quite closely. Yeah, that's, that's something that's become even more pronounced as, as time moves on, isn't it, Cameron, with the, that link between natural resources and, and, and geopolitics and yeah, maritime law. So, well, relatedly, then that brings us nicely into your most recent publication, your most recent research work on Australian maritime strategy and law. So as I say, this is becoming an increasingly important area of public policy, global politics, given China's increasingly aggressive actions in the South China Sea and its vision for the Indo-Pacific and how that contrasts with what the uh, US vision might be and, and of course, risks across the Taiwan Strait as well. So it's something that's cutting across geopolitics, uh, military might, economics, and something you work on quite 
closely and think about a lot the international rules-based order and, and how we best maintain that. So with that growing risk of potentially serious military confrontation in the, in the region, tell us a little bit more about what you looked at in your most recent research and, and publication and, and the conclusions that you reached as well. So yes, that issue with the South China Sea and China's view of its entitlements in that area is really significant for two reasons. One is the impact it's had on the ability of other claimant states, such as Philippines, Vietnam, Indonesia, Brunei, Malaysia, to, oh, I think that's all, to take advantage of their natural resources. So the South China Sea, a lot of fisheries, it's also got oil and gas, and there's been a lot of competition and friction over uh, who can fish where and who can do seismic surveys and explore the oil and gas and so on. So there's a serious dispute over the access to natural resources in the South China Sea, which has got big implications for stability and security of those Southeast Asian claimant states. It also has really significant implications for Australia because security and stability of those countries is of direct interest to Australia because they're our neighbors. Now, the other part of it is that so much of Australia's trade goes through the South China Sea. So part of the concern is competition over natural resources. And the other part of the concern is the freedom of navigation through that area. And when you think about Australia's economy, our two biggest exports are iron ore and coal. And I think at the moment, coal might just be nudging ahead of iron ore, but Australia's economy has gone remarkably well through COVID and a lot of it's been to do with being able to export these resources. If you look, if you Google a site called AIS Tracker, it's automatic identification of ships and it shows you where all the ship tracks go. And if you track out of the major ports from Australia, um, out of Newcastle and out of uh, Northwest Australia, you can see a lot of that shipping goes through the South China Sea on its way to markets in Northeast Asia. So the security of that zone is a direct concern for Australia's military security, but also its economic security. So a disruption in that region will have serious implications for Australia's trade and economic well-being and including regional communities in a, in a very direct way. And, and there's even uh, talk about possible Chinese intervention in Papua New Guinea, I think recently affecting, you know, remote and indigenous communities in far north Queensland in terms of, you know, and across the Timor Strait, not the Timor Strait, a big part of it, across a bit in Strait, um, Papua, yes, the Torres Strait, big for it, thanks Cameron. Um, in, in, in terms of why that, you know, those incursions and economic relationships and things like that might, um, ultimately impact people living in remote parts of, of Australia as well. So it's, yeah, it's, it's everywhere all, all around us. Yeah. China is a major investor in Papua New Guinea's economy. And there was a proposal to put in a major fisheries operation in Dari, which is in the Torres Strait and not very far from the Australian islands and the mainland in Queensland. And I don't know if it's gone any further, it's just a discussion or a proposal, but yeah, that has really significant implications for the communities that farm with Queensland and Australia's, uh, Australia's economy and posture with respect to fisheries management as a whole. Yeah. When you see the lengths to uh, which the Chinese vessels will go around the world, uh, close to the Galapagos recently, it's something that even if it is just a proposal, it's something that Australia does need to be very watchful and, and oh, yes. careful about. You're listening to Law in the Bush, a law research series about regional rural remote law by the University of New England.
So you've also recently worked with um, the United Nations Office on, on Drugs and Crime in relation to, to maritime crime in, in the Western Pacific. So again, an issue that might seem somewhat removed from Australia, actually being very, very well, important to Australia's national interests and security and Australian community. So with that work that you did, Cameron, what were the, some of the key issues and, and challenges that you explored and, and looked at? Yeah, it was a really interesting role to be involved in. I think I visited the Philippines six times in 18 months. It's just going through a period in 27, 2018, where it was the only country in the world that was simultaneously facing a challenge from China and direct attack from ISIS. So the siege of Marawi occurred in 2017. So a major city taken over by ISIS, I think over a thousand people were killed and that related directly to the Islamic insurgency in the Southern Philippines. Now. There's not a direct and obvious connection between Chinese interest in Philippines natural resources and what's happening in the southern Philippines. I think they just happen to coincide. So China, the Philippines for as long had issues with much Muslim population in the, in the south that feel neglected or not represented in, by the government in Manila. They also suffer from poverty. They're a maritime people. And they also sit astride some really significant shipping lanes. So all of a sudden you get this really close intersection. So a lot of Australia's trade going through an ABCF group, the boat actually hijacked a Korean flag vessel full of Australian, I think it was coal. I'm not sure. I can't remember if it was iron or coal, but either way, it was on its way to South Korea. It was going through the Bassline Strait and uh, hijacked by ABCF in late 2016. So. And the master and the first mate were held hostage. So it just shows the direct relationship to Australia, but also the way that connection of poverty and then environmental degradation because the area is overfished and then violence comes together. So you've got an Islamic insurgency that some days is committing kidnapping and, and murder and theft and so on for economic reasons. And then the next day they're doing pretty much the same things for ideological reasons. And it's pretty hard to tell the difference between the two. The other thing is that uh, it's a really porous border. And so between Philippines and Sabah in Malaysia and Indonesia, there's a lot of interaction to and fro right across those shipping channels. So it makes it a really hard space to impose some sort of order in government. So from my point of view, it was really good that the United Nations Office of Drugs and Crime are getting involved to assist. And I think there was some really positive developments, the level of Violence and attacks on shipping really went down. The siege of Mariah was resolved with a lot of Australian assistance, which was known at the time. And a lot of cooperation between the Australian and Philippines government on maritime security issues. So I was doing some work with the Philippines Coast Guard, as well as the Philippines Department of Foreign Affairs. So really interesting, but it, uh, it shows to me that connection between coastal communities, environmental degradation, because they're poor, they didn't have enough, you know, the fisheries are overexploited issues of government and religion and also the strategic issues. This wasn't something that outside countries could just ignore because it was right on shipping line. And, and again, Cameron, as you said earlier too, that the, these issues of maritime security directly affect, you know, Australian communities, particularly in, you know, coal extracting regions and iron ore regions, because this is ultimately how these products go to, to market. So something that might seem quite far removed and far away is, is a problem for, for us as well. That's really fascinating, really interesting. So just to conclude then, Cameron, all 
incredibly interesting and, and current work you're doing at the minute. So what do you have planned in terms of research for the future over the next few years? So I, my interest is moving perhaps to, I just published a book at the beginning of the year on freedom of navigation, and then it's the article that we talked about, and uh, that's where some questions about the application of the law of naval warfare, which is moving a bit further away from natural resources law, but could be a really interesting and difficult issue if, if tensions increase to the point where there's open conflict in the region or around Australia. And the law of naval warfare has really been looked at seriously since the Falkland Malvinas conflict in 1982. And there's questions about the extent to which Australia, um, Australian domestic law is consistent with uh, the law of naval warfare. So that's probably what I want to look at most. So next year, I've got an intention to write an article trying to look at that interaction between Australian domestic law. So the maritime side of it has been very domestic focused. And then the law around conflict side of things has been very land focused, but not the, not that connection with conflict at sea. It's not something people have thought about much for a long time. So that's one I want to explore a bit more and that's got implications for the environment and shipping and so on as well. It's not just about warships fighting each other. It's about how conflict interacts with all of those other things that we've just been talking about. Yeah, I think these maritime issues are only going to become more and more relevant and, and important over the next decade or so. Thanks so much for joining us on Lauren the Bush, Cameron. That was a fascinating talk. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Well, uh, very great pleasure, Patrick. Thanks for listening. We want to hear from you. Please fill out our survey in the link below.